Hello, hello, everybody. This is the eighth episode of the Bo Sox Unfiltered podcast. I'm Patrick Green, uh, founder and owner of Red Sox Unfiltered. Joining me today, we have our typical group of fun characters who are both writers and very good ones at that for Red Sox Unfiltered. We have Dave Latham. Dave, as always, give a shout out to the people. How's it going, everybody? And then also joining us, we have Jordan DeCoe. Jordan, do the same. Oh, hello, good morning. <laughs> yeah, this, I think this is the earliest episode we've ever recorded. We're recording at like 11.30 Eastern Time, and Jordan's on the West Coast, so you, you can do the math. It's like 8.30 for him, so thank you, Jordan, for being here. Oh, oh of course. I wouldn't miss it. Yeah, I don't think I could do that, so like you, you're very admirable, so I'm very proud of you, very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> but yeah, we have a very exciting episode for everybody today. Um, it's been a great series versus the Braves so far. We're recording before today's game, so we're not going to have full coverage of the series, but we're going to have a majority. But not only that, but right our last episode we talked about the fact if Hanley Ramirez should be the starting first baseman for the Red Sox. And I think we all reached the conclusion that they should probably limit his at-bats so he does not get to the 497 plate appearance threshold that would uh, bring his option for the next season to $22 million. Um, and we all c- concluded that Mitch Moreland was the better first baseman. And then that podcast was essentially moot because I think a day or two later, he was designated for assignment by the Boston Red Sox in what was one of the most surprising moves I can remember as a Boston Red Sox fan, as a fan of baseball in general. But yeah, um, it was to make room for Dustin Pedroia on the 25-man roster. A lot of people originally speculated that it was going to be Blake Swihart. Um, Guys, what did you make of this Hanley Ramirez move? I know, Dave, you wrote an article about it, so I'll let you start first. So when I actually messaged uh, our Facebook group a uh, second, or like a few hours before the move actually happened, and it started out as a rumor I read, I thought, yeah, right, not happening. And then a few hours later, it did happen, and, you know, the natural reaction was shocked to it because you just figure he's Hanley Ramirez. You don't get rid of him. Well, when you think about it a little harder, it makes a lot of sense that they did what they did. Because Warren Hanley just hasn't been performing this month. Um, I wrote an article about it. The stats are all there. But basically, uh, Hanley's just been in the midst of a horrible slump. He was hitting ground balls roughly 60% of the time. He was over his last 21. And he just, I think he had a war like or a WRC plus in the 20s, which is just absolutely horrendous. So he's not been playing well, and his defense is worse than Moreland's is, so he shouldn't have been in the starting lineup to begin with. And the other thing you got to factor in is that $22 million option. The Sox have always said if he's willing to, if he uh, plays up to it, they'll pay the option, and that's that, but he hasn't been playing up to it. He's been basically the starting first baseman more or less every day, either starting first base or DH, so... Um, the magical 497 number, he was at 195 at bats when we cut him. Even if you put him in a bench roll, he probably reaches that number by the end of the season. And you don't want to pay $22 million for a backup, especially when a lot of the team needs a new, is going to be hitting free agency either next year or the year after. So, yeah. really, you can't afford to pay Haley that money because you'd probably lose Craig Kimbrell if you did. He's a free agent after the year. And, um, I mean, really, it's a it's a good move. I like it. Yeah. And it means Blake Swihart's going to be in the lineup, so ready or not, Sox Nation, all the three Swiharts out there, uh, you're going to get what you want. 
Yeah, and he he had a nice game uh, yesterday, uh, Saturday. I think he hit a single and drew a walk. I don't know if he did anything else, but Swihart already looks like he is already relishing the fact that he's going to get more opportunities. Uh, Jordan, what did you think of the shocking uh, Henry Ramirez designated for assignment move? Um, I mean, I, I thought exactly that. It was shocking. Um, I mean, the one thing that I would say is that uh, as reports were coming out with um, the with the with the Hanley remove, is that Dave Dombrowski like tried to make it not sound like it was a part of his um, like the vesting option was not a part of his decision to move Hanley. But um, I mean, to pair off what Dave said. Uh, on top of just like not playing well since coming over in um, 2015, um, it's like he he never. He, I think he, his, like his only year was probably like tw- uh, 2016, where he ended the year with like a 357 batting average. Um, on top of like all his peripherals that year, um, but I mean, come on. I think I think Dombrowski knew like if he was going to reach his his plate appearances. And uh, they they were gonna pay him that twenty I, I think it was a twenty two million dollar uh, vesting option. So I mean, it, like Henry would be a lot more expensive uh, a first baseman. Uh, like Dave said, not not a great defender, not as great as Mitch Moreland. Um, and then like I mean, like Dave like Dave said again, um, he they pretty much opened up space for uh, for a resigning of Craig Kimbrell. So it's a great move. Uh, I just I just think we didn't really. Uh, see this coming yeah it it was the shock value that really got me like looking like looking at it now and even looking at before like I'm completely for it but it was just I just didn't expect it to actually happen and when I sent you guys the tweet I think it was from John Heyman or Robert Murray one of those two I think it was actually both of them um, about the potential idea that Hanley Ramirez was going to be the one to be DFA'd and not Blake Swihart like I didn't think it was actually happening. I just thought, hey, this will be fun to share with them, see what their reactions were. And then it actually happened. And I was like, holy crap. Um, but yes, the, as you said, Jordan, the tw- Dombrowski said that the $22 million investing option for next year had nothing to do with it. Uh, BS, it definitely did. They can't say that, uh, that it, didn't, it would not look optically good. Um, but and it would also upset the MLBPA. Definitely the vesting option was a huge part of why that they made this move. Um, and if you think about it, like what sluggers got in the market this year, bat first sluggers, lumbering sluggers who don't bring a lot of defensive value, which is exactly what Hanley Ramirez is, they didn't get anything in this free agent market. You don't want to pay someone $22 million that you could get for $5 million. I mean, how much did Mike Moustakis sign for, re-sign for with the Royals? One year, $5, 6000000 million? The dude hit 40 home runs a year before, was a two-win player. Henry Ramirez has been a positive war, F4 player in one of four years with the Boston Red Sox. And that, to me, speaks volumes about Henry Ramirez's impact. But the Sox have 10 days now to decide what to do with him. Um, 10 days from when the move happened, which was on Friday afternoon, Friday morning. Um, they can either trade him, they can either uh, just outright release him. Um, Dave, what do you ultimately envision is going to happen with Hanley Ramirez, and do you, where did you have any idea of where he's going to end up? Uh, well, I can't imagine that any team would trade for him with that contract. Just no. Like you said, Hanley Ramirez in today's day and age is not worth $22 million. I don't think he can really base what his market's going to be off of last year's free agency, just because last year's free agency was so weird. Like, I've never seen anything like that. But, 
he's not going to be worth $22 million. He's like an average, he's an average player who's pretty streaky. He gets hot and cold, doesn't add much defensively. So I don't see that, I don't see a team wanting to trade him and thus pick up that $22 million option if he reaches his at bats. And I also don't see him going to AAA, which is the other option we could do. But I want, I don't imagine Hanley would like want to put down there. He'd probably just say no. And I think the Red Sox respect him enough to not do that. They'll probably release him. He'll go out, uh, test the market, and some other team's going to show interest in him somewhere. So hopefully Hanley can continue his career and have a good uh, good run with whichever team picks him up. I've heard the Rays are interested. I think uh, the, the Astros maybe, I think, was the other team yeah. that were interested in him. So hopefully Hanley lands on his feet. Yeah, and, and especially if, if he does get released and then he has to sign for the MLB minimum. Um, that's what happens when people get outrighted. Um, then, or actually released, then it'll be a lot more appealing for teams in need of a bat because Henry Ramirez, despite his negative value on defense and his inconsistency on offense, does have a lot of power potential, and I think it would be appealing to a lot of teams. I've heard the Mets thrown around there because Adrian Gonzalez is struggling a bit. Um, he's actually he's doing okay. He's doing more than I thought Adrian Gonzalez would do, but it still would be interesting to see him in a Mets uniform because I feel like they now have this reputation for signing past their prime sluggers, and Hanley Ramirez kind of fits that mold. Uh, Jordan, what do you what do you think ultimately is going to happen with Hanley Ramirez? I mean, um, essentially, we. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen, but at the same time, I don't. Th- yeah, I don't think he's. Well, I don't think he's going to stick around AAA. Uh, very long, um, and I don't think the trade value is there for for um, for a trade to happen. Um, I think I was watching, uh, not I think uh, I was watching MLB Network. Uh, I think it was the other day, and they were doing a segment on like where he could go, um, and they were saying that uh, he could go to like a potential uh, signing could be uh, the Colorado Rockies. Um, he hits very well in Colorado. Um, I don't have like the stats on me um, right now, but I mean their guess was was Colorado. Um, as for a slugger like Hanley, um, I think he'd do very well there because of the uh, high altitude. Um, but you know that's just one of many places he could go to. Um, I just think he's not going to sign that like high of a contract based on um, you know his field his fielding. Um, and but like but at the same time he needs to stay on the field so it's just a matter of you know what what contract he can get um and what what which team is willing to uh you know uh, uh roll the dice with uh, with Ramirez yeah and if he gets released um, I don't think people are going to trade, and if they do trade, uh, I think Dabrowski said that would even make it more complicated. I think everyone expects him to just be be released, and then some team, because once you get released, you have to sign for the major league minimum. There's no bidding war. I mean, there's a bidding war, but it's basically just like not based on uh, contract because he's already making $15 million for the year, so he doesn't really need more money. I mean, right. But the thing, the thing about Hanley Ramirez was he has had a very memorable tenure in a Boston Red Sox uniform. Um, it's sad that this is kind of like the end of the Ben Sherrington era almost. John Farrell's gone. Pablo Sandoval's gone. Hanley Ramirez is gone. I mean, Ben Sherrington planted his seed with all these good prospects, but some of those lucrative uh, free agent signings are just out the window. But it was an end of a Red Sox era in my mind. I think Hanley Ramirez was, if nothing else, memorable. 
Um, and I hope he does well with a different team because he, he does have appeal because of his offensive acumen or the potential that is there. But this is really good for the Red Sox, not only because they don't have to pay that $22 million vesting option, but also because it gets Mitch Moreland and to be an everyday player, and Mitch Moreland deserves to be an everyday player. Um, but we've talked about that so many times, so I won't go much deeper into that. Um, does anyone have any final words on Hanley? Jordan, I'll start with you. Um, I will I will uh, add that um, there was some controversy between Dombrowski and Cora. Um, I wouldn't even I, maybe I wouldn't even call it controversy, but like again, as news was coming out, um, it, uh, the the media was saying that um, you know this was Cora's decision, and you know, Dombrowski was just as surprised as we all were. But at the same time, um, it's you know it's shocking. Um, but you know, at the end of it, it's it's kind of understandable. But um, I think as word as word started getting out, um, it was Cora's decision, and then that kind of turned into um, some some drama in the in the clubhouse. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. Oh, that's definitely a good point i was i was gonna mention that but I t- it, it, it totally eluded me for a second but yeah the fact that dave dombrowski said it was alex cora's decision and that he was somewhat shocked by the uh his alex cora's decision to part ways with Hanley ramirez to make room for dustin bedroya uh, dave what did you think about that aspect of it yeah that um surprised me it kind of felt like dombrowski was sort of saying hey if Hanley goes off and hits 400 and knocks in fit like 40 home runs, blame Cora. But at the same point, it also showed me Cora is not afraid to make hard decisions, which was something I was somewhat worried about. Uh, because when he, when a former player becomes a manager, and we got him to be like a relatable presence to the players we have, because Farrell really wasn't that. But one of the hard things is like if you're supposed to be like you know a player's coach, can you make those tough decisions? And if this was Cora's idea, like. Dombrowski said it is, which there's no reason to believe it wasn't. Um, that really shows that Cora's not afraid to take the business side of it, too. So if tough decisions need to be made, Cora's clearly capable of making them. So in a way, I like I like what that move signalized. Yeah, the debt definitely. And um, Alex Cora definitely showed a lot of... Uh, there was a very, very bold move on his, on his end. So I, I think that I, I'm not sure how much substance there is to that but as you said like i have no reason to think on the contrary um there was some speculation that potentially it was to create a wedge between the uh president of baseball ops and the actual decision because they didn't want the mlbpa getting involved for the fact that um it would not look good optically but yeah i I do think alex cora did make a bold move and i think Cora was the one who actually spearheaded this and I really don't think he wanted to put Hanley Ramirez on the bench which was the other option I think that he ultimately wanted he knows that Hanley Ramirez wants to play I mean this is all speculatory like I'm not sure but I'm just thinking from the mindset that Hanley Ramirez still thinks he can be an everyday first baseman and he wants he does not want to sit on the bench and Mitch Moreland deserves to play so that makes sense but yes, that will conclude the Hanley Ramirez segment of this podcast. Um, it was fun. It was fun. And uh, yeah, that that was the biggest Red Sox news in quite a while since like the J.D. Martinez signing. So uh, we're going to move on to the actual breakdown of the series, though. You, you guys ready for this? 
Absolutely. Let's roll. So the Red Sox played the Atlanta Braves this weekend. Braves were really hot coming into the series. They were one of the best teams in the National League. So on Friday, and the Braves have a great infusion of young talent, uh, Acuna, Albies, there's there's a lot of talent on that end. But um, their first game on Friday, the Red Sox defeated the Braves 6-2. to uh, they had four solo shots in the game. J.D. Martinez went yard for his 16th of the year. Mitch Moreland, first game post Hanley Ramirez land, hits a shot to center field. Absolute on the line. Oh, it was so pretty. Xander Bogarts took one into the monster seat, and as did Mookie Betts for his now tied with the league league with the home runs with Mike Trout, his 17th home run of the year. Also in the game, Eduardo Rodriguez, he pitched well. Uh, after struggling a bit out of the gate, uh, he accumulated five and two-thirds innings of Two earned run balls with a seven strikeouts and three uh, walks. So after the Red Sox, four solo shots on Friday, and then they had one on Saturday, courtesy of Andrew Benintendi. The Red Sox have 76 long balls on the year. Uh, They were last in the American League in 2017. I think they were 27th in baseball. Um, I think they hit 168 combined home runs in 2017. Um, They are now on pace for like, to close to 240. So that is an incredible turnaround for this team. Um, I'm going to start with you, Dave. What do you think about this home run surge from the Red Sox? Is it sustainable going forward? Well, I think the reason we're hitting so many more home runs this year, there's a lot of layers to why it's happening. One is obviously the inclusion of J.D. Martinez, who's filling the David Ortiz role in a sense. Obviously, he it's physically impossible to be that much of a legend only two months into your tenure, but He's serving as that big bat bat in the middle that's capable of just changing the game at a moment's notice. And, uh, you know, we didn't have that last year. I think another part of it is a lot of guys underperformed last year. Outside of Christian Vasquez, there was really uh, nobody who hit up to their capabilities, up to their talents. This year it seems like we're uh, becoming more towards the norm, and in some cases we're exceeding it, like Mookie Betts, for example, leading the league in home runs. I don't know how many people thought that would be happening right now and another part of it i feel is uh the new coaching staff brought in a new philosophy um more in tune with analytics and launch angle than the previous administration believed in um i know for a fact chili davis the old hitting coach was not a fan of uh launch angle stuff he just believed you know line drives and the home runs will come but and there's truth to that but i do believe uh Cora's administration, this new group of coaches is emphasizing putting the ball in the air, and it's working out for a lot of our guys in the lineup, for just about everyone. So I think all three of those things are happening, and that's how we're suddenly one of the best home run teams in the league. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that Cora's regime is emphasizing swinging at better pitches, swinging at more strikes, and that has obviously happened. They're they're so f- the Red Sox, I think, are the best team with two straight hittings in the league. Don't quote me on that. That could be entirely wrong, but um, I feel like it's a thing. Um, I know Mookie Betts is at least the best hitter with two strikes, so there you go. Um, but, yeah, th- this home run surge has been so impressive from the Red Sox. And, yeah, J.D. Martinez is the obvious, like, you want to go cause and effect. You know, J.D. Martinez is going to add, like, 40, 50 home runs. But the fact is there are other guys who are also contributing to this. And Mookie Betts, namely, is one of them. Betts, I think, only hit 28 last year. Is that is that correct? Around that mark? Does anyone Sounds know? about right. Sounds about right, yeah. Uh, after hitting 30 in 2016, uh, people questioned his power coming into the year. That is no longer a question. 
Uh, Mookie Betts is leading every statistic uh, on offense almost. Um, he's he's absolutely crushing the ball. Like the underlying stats, like agree with him. Like Mookie Betts is Mike Trout level ho- uh, offensive abilities right now. So yeah, so Mookie Betts, uh, the fact that he's hitting the way he is, and he's probably on pace for like 40, 50 home runs. I don't know if he'll get there. I think he might hit 40. Um, that really does help the team too. And then you guys, you got guys like Bogarts, Benny, Devers, Moreland, all going to contribute a handful of them themselves. Jordan, what, what would you attribute this this uh, turnaround in home runs for the Bo Sox? You know what? Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak on the more like uh, the analytical part of it. I mean, I well, not not so much stats, but um, I mean the like Corps administration of bringing in the new cybermetric era. Um, I think I wrote, well, I did write an article on, um, Xander Bogarts, like, a while ago on his, uh, hot start, um, and now just kind of improved batting, um, I think you can attribute that to, um, the hitting coach Tim Hires, Tim Hires is, like, a, a well-versed guy in analytics and, well, not, well, analytics, um, cybermetrics and, uh, and launch angle, um, I think, um, Bogarts is like maybe like a like a prime example of of how like the hitting the the coaching staff has helped this uh, this squad um, to kind of be be a more knowledgeable hitter. Um, and I mean, we all we all remember how uh, Xander Bogarts kind of finished the year. Um, well, it was it was impressive, but he did struggle. Um, but at the same time, he wasn't like he wasn't the hitter he is now. So I think the uh, the hitting coach um, and and coaching staff has done like a great job with Xander Bogarts. And um, I mean, like Dave said, it's uh, I mean, it, it is also JD Martinez as well. He brings that David Ortiz factor. So um, and and so it's it's a little bit of both. It's, it's more like more knowledgeable hitting, and the fact that we have like one one of the best hitters. Um, in the game, in the middle of the lineup, so a couple things. Yeah, there's a couple factors, but while we're on the subject of home runs, this thought just occurred to me. I haven't seen the Red Sox hit a grand slam in a while. Like they were, they hit what, like five, six in May. I mean April, and I, I haven't seen one in a while. So you know what? Today seems like a good day for the Red Sox to hit a grand slam. Just saying, just putting that out there. Um, so after that. Still along the line of home runs, but in a different breadth. Um, I put a poll out on the Red Sox, the Bo Sox Unfiltered Twitter page. Um, we know Betts and JDM are just like monsters when it comes to dingers. They eat, breathe, and sleep dingers. So they're not in contention for this poll. But after those two guys, who will finish third in home runs for the team at the season's end? Will it be Andrew Benatendi? Will it be Raphael Devers? Will it be Xander Bogarts? Mitch Moreland? Or other? I don't know who the other would be. Um, Maybe Eduardo Nunez starts to put it together. I'm just kidding. Um, Jordan, wh- wh- who do you think will be the the third in home runs for the Red Sox when it's all said and done? Um, I mean, right now, my, like this is probably going out on a stretch. Um, but Mitch Moreland, I, I think it's going to be a, t- a tie between Mitch Moreland and Andrew Benintendi. Um, I think. I think uh, I think Mitch Moreland's power is a little bit underrated. Um, we we saw in I think what we've seen in um, in this series alone is that Mitch Moreland can just put, like get the ball out of the ball out of the ballpark and like head towards um, 
that like pesky pole and and that um, the, excuse me um, the right field bullpen right 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 field bullpen yeah um, and then Andrew Benintendi is Andrew Benintendi uh, I think he's going to be right up there with uh, with JDM and and, um, and Betts by the end of this one. Yeah, I, I think you got a lot of guys. I feel like these guys are very similar. Um, the Twitter results, it, we had like 40 people vote. Um, I think there was a tie between Mitch Moreland and Xander Bogarts, each getting 29% of the vote. Andrew Benatendi was not far behind, 22%. Raphael Devers was last. But I'd argue that Raphael Devers probably has the most raw power in him. It's not really translated to game power. But I also don't f- I feel like I'm insulting Mitch Moreland by then because the man is an extra base machine. He's Mitchy two-bag. He's Mitchy three-bag. He's Mitchy home run-bag. Mitchie Forbag. I mean, this guy is, he's having a great year. Uh, Dave, who do you think is going to be third for the Red Sox when it's all said and done? All right, well, I'm going to have to pick my favorite player in the universe, Rafael Devers. I, I think you're going to pick gonna, him. I, I think he's going to take over. I think he's going to finish third on the team in home runs. Um, and if you just, I mean, I know the kid's young. He's 21, and it looks like he hasn't hit puberty yet. But if you look at his uh, spray charts, he has power to all areas of the field. It's really like it's really astonishing how good this kid could be. He's running to something of a sophomore slump, relatively speaking. His average is kind of low, but he's still when he makes contact with the ball, he can crush it to all three parts of the field. And I think as the season goes on, he's going to start getting over that uh, hump that he's in. Pitchers are. There's film on him now, so pitchers are starting to figure out what they can and cannot get away with throwing to him. He's going to adjust to that really soon, and once he does work out, because he can take over the world by storm, I think, and I'm not even like exaggerating with this, I think within the next three to five years, he's going to be a top ten player in the majors. Wow. So, I think he starts making a name for himself this year. So Wow, that was a bold statement, Dave. I'm going to hold you to that, too. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really high on this guy. I really don't think I mean, maybe his defense will keep him from being, like, a top 10 player. I think he's he has the potential to be a good defender, but not a great one. But with his bat, there's no limit to how good he can be. Yeah, he definitely has a lot of power um, to all fields. He's got, like, one of the best opposite fields. He's got so much opposite field power. It, it's it's insane. Um, and he's only 20, right? Like, holy crap. There's a lot of... Uh, 20, yeah, he's 20, he's right? 20, right, yeah. Um, he's got a lot of room to improve. Um, but I, I'm actually going to pick Mitch Moreland here um, because the guy, like his underlying statistics are better than they ever have been in the past. He's barreling more baseballs than I think any of those guys that we talked about. And he's also has the highest average exit velocity. Um, and now he's in the lineup every day. Uh, I actually don't know who's leading uh, among these four. I think Moreland has seven home runs. and bad. I think it's Devers right now. It's Devers. How, how many does Devers have? Um, I think he's 10. 10. I'm going on fan graphs right now. That's what I was going to do. If, if you're going to do it, I'll let you do it. Because I know Bogarts has about 7. Um, I think Moreland has 7 or 8. And Ben Attendee, uh 5 or 6. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll let Dave figure this out. He's going to solve the uh, Da Vinci Code for us. <laughs> yeah, so um, let me see here. Devers currently has ten home run, 9 home runs. Is he leading? All right. Yeah, that's the most. That's the most? Okay. Do you, of do you, the gang right now. Do you know how many Bogarts, Benintendi, and uh, Moreland have? Uh, 
Give me one sec for that. Were you, were you just on the page? I'm sorry. I, I should have asked you before you went, went away from the page. But, um, yeah, all, all four of these guys are going to be, like, I, I think we're, we're going to talk about Andrew Benatendi later in the show. Um, he He's having a monster season, but it's on the low because he's, you know, in the shadows of Martinez and Betts. But look forward to that as well. Um, this how you doing, Dave? You fine? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah Bogarts has seven, Benintendi has six, and Mitch Moreland has... Bum, bum, bum. Drum roll, please. I think Mitch Moreland... My computer loads. I have terrible internet. You know, internet... Mitch Moreland has eight. Eight. So, Devers takes the lead. Yeah, that's a very close race. That's exciting. Because I think we all know that Martinez and Betts are in another world in that class, but I'm really excited to see if any of those four get to 30 or, like, 25. I... Uh, that'll be something for me to watch personally as the season progresses. And I'm really in like, a, I have like a home run fetish right now. Um, obviously home runs are up across the league. Actually, I think they're down this year relative to other years, but yeah, home, home runs are the rage. I've, I've always been a huge fan of home runs, but now we're going to move on to the game two, which was on Saturday. The Red Sox defeated the Braves eight to six winning the series. It's a three game series. They won the first two drew Pomeranz and Sean Newcomb. Sean Newcomb's a Massachusetts native. His family, was in attendance did not go as planned for him uh they battled for who could pitch worse in this game um and honestly i think palmer has pitched worse but he the red sox still got the win uh they both only lasted three ish innings newcomb went three palm went three and one third so pomerantz continues to scuffle with five earned runs in three and one third innings three strikeouts the three walks so there's not nothing like underlying that looks encouraging um and his pace of pay pl- uh, is the time between pitches was just atrocious. Like I was getting like antsy just like watching just how much time he took to to pitch. I think I tweeted that like the, this is why MLB needs a pitch clock because of guys like Drew Pomeranz. But that's another that's another whole different conversation. But yeah, there was an interesting poll. I think it was made by Ian Brown of uh, about which uh, I think Ian Brown writes for MLB.com about which. On Thursday, when the Red Sox play the Astros, are you sticking with Drew Pomerantz, or are you going to go with Stephen Wright, Hector Velasquez, or Brian Johnson to make that start? Um, I want to know, guys, I'll start with you, Dave. If you had to pick one of these guys to to start on Thursday against the Houston Astros, who, who are you going to go with? Okay, well, Alex Cora has already said it's going to be Drew Pomerantz, so this is kind of a moot like, point for us to be having. Yeah, so, but it's, it's a but fun hypothetical. Regardless, let's say he didn't do that. I'd still give Palm one last start. I've been, on this podcast, I've been very adamant for giving Palm, giving Palm a month and a half or so to prove his chances. Right now, we are at a month and, like, just over. So, uh, honestly, I think Houston's his last chance to prove it for me. But the only reason I say keep going with him is just it's so easy to forget just how good he was last year after his first month and a half. So his overall stats were great, but um, he had a really bad first month and a half of 2017. After uh, May, starting on May 20th, I have the stats pulled up right here. He had an ERA of 284. He um, had only allowed 12 homers the rest of the year and 139 innings pitched. Held his held guys to a 247 batting average, a 301 WOBA. Just really, really great stuff. He was a really good number two to have. And frankly, he was the second best pitcher on a team that won 93 games because of its pitching staff. So this guy really has the potential to be good. He has the potential to be really good. 
So I think he's got it. I know that potential still in there, but it's his leash is growing shorter and shorter every day, especially with how well Stephen Wright's been doing coming out of the bullpen. I thought I was um, of the opinion that the Sox should try Hector Velasquez if they're going to try anyone in the rotation, just because you never know what you're getting out of a knuckleballer. And Stephen Wright hasn't pitched in about a year and a half, but he's still been able to like come out here be really good. So if Cora went with Velasquez or Wright, I mean, I don't think there's a wrong decision there. I think both are upgrades over Pomeranz if he can't get it together in Houston. But if he starts getting it together, I say keep going forward with him because he was the highest ceiling of the bunch. Yeah, like you, I, I would stick with Drew Pomeranz. And then that's what the Red Sox ultimately are doing. But uh, I think you got to play that potential longer. you you got to feel him out. you got to give him a little longer leash. But if in, in this hypothetical fun world that we live in, in this game that we're going to play, if I had to pick one starter to displace him in the rotation, I don't think I would go with Velasquez or Wright. I think I would go with Brian Johnson. And that that's that's probably shocking to a lot of people that I would choose Johnson over those two. But the, th- the thing about Velasquez is, you know, he's got a sterling, like, pretty 180, 190 ERA, but his FIP is, like, 409. The guy does not strike out people. His caper nines is, like, under six. Um, he's got good command, and th- that's that's fine and dandy. But he, he does not, he, like, he's not even generating the amount of ground balls that he used to. Like, like the amount of hard contact against him is... It's not startling, but I feel like there's definitely going to be some regression there. I mean, he has left 94.5% of runners uh, that have he is he 94.5% of runners have been left on base while he's pitching. That is very unsustainable. The mark's about 70 for league average. I don't think any pitcher can humanly uh, possess that stat going forward. Um, and the terms of Stephen Wright, Stephen Wright, uh, as you said, the knuckleball is very volatile. He has looked he's looked pretty good, but he's also has like five walks per nine like his command is very erratic and he's never going to be a guy who generates a lot of strikeouts so you're really just playing on weak contact here which i think Stephen wright could do decently well with but he's not a lot of loud like any home runs this year and i don't think that's sustainable either because especially with the knuckleball you're gonna give up your fair share of long balls so if i had to pick one person i'll go with the guy with the close to nine strikeout per nine in brian johnson who has the best underlying stuff his command's not that bad the one thing he has struggled with with has been the long ball and like his home run for nine is so high that i don't even know if that's sustainable going in the other direction i think brian johnson also i think he Generally, like, this is very anecdotal, and I don't have anything to base this off of, but I think he, I mean, when he was pitching in the rotation earlier in the year, he looked a lot better than he has in the bullpen. Um, I don't know if it gets in his head in the bullpen or whatever, but I think Johnson is more built for the rotation, and that's not a hot take. Like, there's, I don't have any, like, empirical data to back that up. I just, I just have this deep-seated belief that Brian Johnson's the guy you would go with here. Uh, Jordan, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah. You know what? Um, I think I'm I'm with you guys on uh, on the on the Pomeranz part. Um, I think Pom's uh, leash is getting a lot, uh, you know, almost microscopically small. Um, his in his last his last uh, three starts, he's had a ERA over five fifty, and yesterday he's had he um, he finished with with an ERA of six seventy five. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time. Um, if he, if he keeps pitching the way he is, I think it's a matter of time until, you know, there's, there's going to be some adjustments being made. Um, and in terms of, 
who um, who I would want his replacement to be. I would like Joe Kelly to make a start again. Um, I mean, his, I'm, I'm looking at his watch for nine, and it's about, I think it's 3.3 according to um, uh, okay. baseball reference, baseball. so that's, that's not really great. Uh, but he does get uh, about 10 strikeouts for nine. Um, and his, uh, and then, um, to jump over back to Pomeranz, he has a, uh, a 42.2% fly ball rate, and then there's, and then he, and then, uh, batters are, like, converting those into home runs, um, on a 14% clip. So, I mean, he's, when he, like, he's, he's kind of screwing up often, and when he does, he's giving up home runs, like he did the dance with the Swanson right. Uh, last night, um, but I mean, I'd like to see Joe Kelly start again. I like. I thought. I think he was a very good pitcher when he was with um, the Cardinals. Uh, I don't think we have that like that exact uh, pitchers uh, that we have that was in in, uh, in with the Cardinals. But um, you know, it'd be nice to see Joe Kelly make a start again. Yeah, I, th- I think Jordan and I went the unconventional route with our picks. I picked Brian Johnson. You went Joe Kelly. I think the Red Sox do need Joe Kelly in the bullpen, though. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I feel like their bullpen is a pressing need, and Joe Kelly has had numerable chances to start at the big league level, and it, and it hasn't gone according to plan very much. Uh, Kelly's stuff plays up in the bullpen. Um, I mean, every bull, every reliever for the most part, their stuff plays up. But yeah, I think it would be interesting to see Kelly in the rotation. I just, I just think he's a lot more valuable than in, in a relief role. Um, and you have these plethora of long guys, and there would probably be better suited to be a spot starter than Kelly. But interesting thought, Jordan. I like the unconventionality of your answer. So kudos to you. Um, but we're going to move on here and. In the same game, the Saturday game with the Braves-Red Sox, Andrew Benintendi, Benny Biceps, went three for four with a triple and a home run. He fell a double short of attaining a cycle. So on the year now, he's a 283 average. Good. 370 OBP. Wow, that's, that's pretty dang great. And a 489 slug. Whoa, what the heck? When did Benintendi start producing these numbers? He has 129 WRC plus on the year. Last year, he had 103 WRC plus the entire year. A 1.6 F4. He had a 2.1 F4 all of last year. Um, he's walking more this season, and he's striking out less. He's hitting much, much for much more power. He's got a superior ISO, isolated slugging, uh, isolated power. Um, and then there was this other stat that I looked up that I tweeted today. So win, prob- <laughs> win probability added. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that stat over at Fangraphs. So basically, a lot of the stats that I look at are context um, depend. They're context independent. Like they don't take into um, account context, um, but they strip out like all random variance and sequencing and luck because it's very like you know teammate dependent. But this context dependent stat is what win probability added. It's based on the sequencing and what happens, how valuable you are to your team. So basically, that's it's kind of a measure of clutch in a way. And number one is Mookie Betts at 2.60. Like that should surprise no one. But number two is Andrew Benatendi in all Major League Baseball 218. And there's a, the fan guy says another stat that measures clutch. I guess it takes into account high, medium, and low leverage situations. Benny is 
second in baseball in clutch with a 1.01 mark, and I cannot tell you who's number one because I just got so excited that Andrew Benintendi was number two that I didn't even look at who number one was. But yeah, Andrew Benintendi's <laughs> having just a monster season, and it has he's been in the shadows of Betts and Martinez, but my goodness, like he started off slow, and he's still having struggles against lefties, but holy crap, Benny is exploding right now. Jordan, what do you, what do you think about this? I mean, it's uh, it's Benny biceps. So um, I think, I mean, I, I mean, what else? What I mean, what I'm gonna say like, what else do you expect from Benny biceps? But um, I mean, it's great to see. Uh, like you said, uh, I think um, he'd be like he amongst other amongst other players in the lineup um, are in the shadows of of Mookie Betts's. Um, monster season. Um, I think it's just it, I, it's it's great. I'm I'm baffled. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, dude, he's been so hot, especially in the month of May, especially recently. Like, oh, this guy's awesome, Dave. What have you thought of his season so far? Okay, so um, it's a Red Sox unfiltered podcast, so I have to mention that I saw him in Portland. I think it's actually in my contract that I have to mention <laughs> I think I've it been is. to Dogs every time I do a podcast. <laughs> So, I mean, really, ever since I saw him down there, this is kind of what I've been expecting. He was, I went there at a really good time. I saw him, I saw Mankata, I saw Devers, and I saw a few other guys that we traded away, but those were, like, the big ones. And Ben Intendi just, like, he's one of those guys, you could tell, he didn't belong down there. He belonged on the major leagues. And in 2016, when we promoted him straight up from uh, AA to the majors, he thrived, and that says enough about that says enough about him to me. He's such a great potential player, and um, he started off a little bit slow, but he's come around. He's becoming a great, um, great hitter, really driving the ball everywhere, which is what you really you don't necessarily need to be that anymore because today's all about the power. But I really love guys that are able to bring the ball anywhere you want them to bring it, and uh, Ben Intendi especially. The biggest knock against him like entering the year and through the first month or so of the season was his numbers against the lefties mm-hmm. basically saying, yeah, the dude can crush righties, but he can't face lefties to save him life, to save his life. And in April, that was true. I have his stats up right now. Um, he was batting against lefties and atrocious. He had a 50 batting average, five zero, wow. um, a two forty on base percentage, a 50 slug. So also in a negative three WRC plus, which I didn't know you could, do like he I didn't did think that was a physically possible number, <laughs> and um, so then in May he's May he's absolutely turned it around. He um, has a three sixty four average, three ninety one OBP, six thirty six slugging, and a one seventy seven WRC plus. So he's been crushing the sh- crushing the crap out of lefties. Now a lot of that's a little unsustainable. He has a four sixty seven batting uh, BAVIP, which. He's not going to do the rest of the year, but still. The fact that he's able to make contact with lefties, solid contact against them, that's all that matters right now. He's continuing to develop. He's continuing to become a better player. And if he he can keep his career moving in the upward direction, which I have no doubt that he can, I can't think of a better 1-2-3 in baseball than uh, Ben Tendi and Martinez. Yeah. I completely agree with what you said. And I didn't even know that he had turned it around against lefties that considerably uh, in, in May. So 
good for him for starting to mash the, the southpaws, which which was his like watermark against him. Um, but yeah, as you said, like he's just like a he hits the ball all over the field. He's got one of the best swings. That's why he was the number one prospect in baseball. Um, but yeah, he's got good fundamental hitting. He's not a launch angle guy. I, I don't believe like a lot of other players are. He just sprays it all over the field. Um, and I think the sky's the limit for this kid. I think he's going to be one of the best players of baseball as he continues to develop. Um, big Andrew Benatendi believer. He's also very clutch. And clutch is not a very sustainable um, trait for a player going forward. It's not very predictive. But this year, he's been among the clutchest hitters in baseball. So good job, Andrew Benatendi. We see you. We love you. Um, and just keep doing what you're doing. That, that would be my uh, recommendation. So, also in this game, and this is the last aspect of this game that I'll talk about. A lot happened in this game. It was a fun game. Um, Dustin Pedroia made his return to the lineup. He went 0 for 4 with a walk. Uh, his first plate appearance actually came with the bases loaded against Sean Newcomb in the first inning. There were two outs. It was like a picture. Like, this is something you write in movies. Like, it felt scripted. Pedroia came back after all this time, and his first plate appearance is bases loaded. And I'm thinking, it's going. It's Le Luna. That's going in the Green Monster, and forget about it. I was actually, like, Facebooking, me- Facebook messaging Jordan while it was happening. And then he, like hit a weak pop-up to Ronald Acuna in in right field. But, yeah, um, Jordan, what did you see from Bedroy in this game, in his debut? Um, you know what? I I think the 0 for 4 doesn't do uh, his game of justice. Uh, he got a walk, and then the balls that he hit, um, I think aside from the flyout in, in the first or second, um, with the bases loaded, he did hit. He did hit like a couple. Uh, he did put good contact on the ball. Um, I think he missed a hit like by inches. If uh, Acuna, right? Uh, if if the pitcher doesn't if, if the pitcher doesn't swat down, um, yeah, too. like if if the pitcher doesn't like swat the ball down and get him out. Um, I just think he had, like he made good contact on the ball, and the 0 for four doesn't really uh, sum up his uh, his return to the lineup. Yeah, it's a small sample size, so no one's going to make much of it, but he was hitting, there were two almost hits that he had, um, and he did draw a walk, so it was it was a good uh, debut for Pedroia. It was obviously great seeing him turn a double play um, back at second base. Um, Dave, do you have any comments on his debut? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just means so much to have him back. I mean, he struggled in Pawtucket. I think he only had one hit there, so the batting may not come back initially, but just having that sort of presence back on the dugout, because nobody works better than, nobody works harder than Dustin Pedroia. He's one of the hardest working guys in the league, and just having that type of guy back in the clubhouse, I think just does wonders, and having his glove in the field, because that hasn't dropped off at all. Nunez was costing us runs by the wayside when he was playing, uh, second base. Now that he's not the everyday second baseman, Pedroia's out there, that helps our middle infield defense. Like, that's such an unspeakably big upgrade. Like, even if he hits 130, I think he justifies keeping himself in the in the lineup. And now that Nunez is on the bench, he can uh, give Devers a few more rest days. And Nunez is better fit for third than second, in my mind, anyway. And there hasn't really been an, a great... Uh, guy to rest Devers, I guess kind of, maybe Brock Holt, but um, when Nunez was playing second, 
Devers is probably playing a little bit more than he should have, but now that he can have rest days, I think that's really going to help his production too. So basically just having Pedroia back brings makes the team better in just about every way. So, you know, I can't wait to see what this team can do. We're the, we have the best record in baseball, and we did most of that without him. Now we have him back. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. I agree with everything uh, with what you just said. But, yeah, you also mentioned Eduardo Nunez better playing third than he has been in second. And I, I've heard a lot of people say that, actually. Um, haven't really dug into the numbers, but well, why, why is Eduardo Nunez why does he play better at third? I would think third is a slightly harder position on the defensive spectrum, if not about equal to second base. Um, I know when, like, in my Babe Ruth days, and they put me at third, I have, like, a really crappy arm. Like, I dread, that was the one position I didn't want to play because I, it's very inaccurate and so far across the diamond. It was, it was very intimidating to me. Uh, I much prefer second base where I can, like, throw with, like, to first base or second base with ease. Um, I guess you're also, the ball is coming at you quicker at third base because you're not as far back so maybe his reactions are just quicker he doesn't overthink i don't i don't know do, do you have any logical explanation uh for eduardo nunez's uh third base play over his second base play dave so um i'm going back to my long uh experience playing baseball when i was 14 um growing up i was I was usually um, a pitcher, a catcher, and a third baseman because that's where you put the slow, fat kid that can't run. So I, I did have a good arm, though. So um, third base, the ball comes to you a lot faster. I think it's a good position for like if you if you can if you overthink yourself, you should go to third because the ball just comes at you so fast. You have no you choice have no but to, to react and play. You don't really have time to get lost in your own mind. Maybe that has something to do with it. And also playing second, you have to worry about the double play covering second, where the third guys typically don't feel there. You only have one responsibility. You don't have to worry about um, really covering as much ground. You kind of just have to worry about your little area. Anything to the right of you is a foul ball. Anything too far to the left is the shortstop's problem. So it is a good position for guys that don't have quite as much range. And we've seen Nunez out there. He does not have range. It, be it his knee injury or whatever it is, he just cannot go uh, left to right very fast. So I think Nunez works better there just because if you have quick reflexes, third's great for you. But if you need to cover a large track of distance, really uh, that's also more of a third baseman thing than a second baseman thing. So maybe that has something to do with it too. I don't really know, but that would be my guesses. Yeah, but no, those were good guesses. Um, I, I, I'm probably going to look into like his numbers, like historically at third base and second base, see if I can find a discrepancy. Maybe, maybe send a tweet out, maybe message you guys on Facebook about it. But yeah, if someone remind me to do that, because I'd be interested to seeing the numbers because he he is awful at second base. Um, but yeah, today we have a. Today's game will start at 105 against the Atlanta Braves. It'll be the final of the three-game series. Chris Sale, it is Sale Day, everybody. So get pumped, get excited. Uh, he'll be facing Mike Fultenowich, which I had to look up how to pronounce today. I came prepared. Um, I spelled it out so I could pronounce it very... I, I've, been pronoun I've been butchering the name for like five, six weeks now. Um, so th this, was, this was a good... It's good to get it right on, you know, live... But yeah, Bogart's batting third. Pedroia's batting fifth today. J.D. Martinez is out of the lineup. Um, with the Angels' 11-4 victory over the New York Yankees yesterday, the Red Sox now have a two-game lead in the AL East, so I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped about that. 
any separation we can this early in the season any separation we can put between ourselves and the Yankees is a demonstrably good thing um, so yeah just just keep doing that keep Yankees keep losing Red Sox keep winning I'm I'm very much here for it but we're now actually gonna shift to our final segment of this podcast and honestly I think it's the one I'm most excited about um, so Kevin Euclid, Derek Lowe and Mike Lowell were inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame earlier in this week so I we're gonna go over each guy's career a little bit but I want to start with um, asking who was your favorite of these of this trio and which one was most important to the Red Sox Jordan I'm gonna start with you here um <clears throat> I think Kevin Euclid, uh was my favorite. I think uh, his his. I mean, I, I mean, he's kind of he's known to me for his uh, for his batting stance, the way he kind of puts his, his bat like all the way up on his shoulders, and then it's just astounding how he can get around um, to uh, to make contact on the ball. Um, but I think what what a uh, you know who is more, who's most important. Um, I like I like Derek Lowe. Lowell. Um, I, I'm actually I think I might be mixing Derek Lowe and Mike Lowell uh, up, but any uh, like their names up. But anyway, uh, uh, Derek Lowe, uh, his his performances in in the postseason, I believe in um, it was oh three oh four um, and then oh seven were like huge for the Red Sox. Um, and then his story of, um, you know, getting traded over to, uh, the Red Sox, not doing well in the, um, not doing well in the rotation, getting sent into the bullpen. Um, I think it's just, you know, a, a great story. And then he ended up, uh, playing very well, or pitching very well in the bullpen. And then, um, on a side note, um, I think uh, I think like during his interview with uh, with Remy uh, uh, on uh, I think it, yeah it was yesterday not yesterday Friday um, he was saying how like you know Jason Baratek and uh, and both like Derek Lowe when you know Dombrowski first talked to him like you know Dombrowski pretty much told like thought he was like a fat left hander um, and it was just like that was great to hear uh, so. I mean, it's, it's a funny, funny story, a heartwarming story. Uh, and then, yeah, like I said, he's a, uh, he, he turned out to be a great pitcher for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, Derek Lowe was a little before my time. Um, I'm pretty young. I'm only 20. Uh, Derek Lowe's last year with the Red Sox was 2004, 2005. I was like six or seven, so he's not as dear and near to my heart as maybe you guys. But, Dave, who, who, who's your favorite and who is the most important to the Red Sox success? So my favorite was also Kevin Euclid, but um, uh, I always, I actually, I grew up about five minutes out of Lowell, and when he played single A ball, he started out at the Lowell Spinners when I had season tickets there. I was like probably six or seven when he was down there, and he he went through the majors fast. I'm also he was in Lowell when he was in 2001, and God knows what reason, but he was like my favorite player. And every day before the games, um, all the Lowell Spinners would come out, they'd sign autographs for all the kids, and I was always down there. I had um like a little notebook piece of paper. And every time, I must have had like thousands upon thousands of Kevin Euclid signatures. He kind of like, That's he awesome. started to recognize me near the end there. It's like, hey, you're the kid that keeps coming here. I'm like, yep. <laughs> so, um, like, the Lowell Spinners had like a uh, kids fan club thing too. I was a part of that. And um, 
I have a picture of like eight year old me and Kevin Euclid in the little spinners oh there. Oh my gosh! And he was in Pawtucket too. I uh, when he was in Pawtucket, I uh, they're having a si- like a signing day, and uh, I I went down for that. Got it signed by Kevin before he's even in the majors. So me and Uke, we go way back. So uh, yeah. hey Uke, if you're listening, uh, hit me up at DL Pat's thoughts. Give me a uh, send me a message. We'll uh, get you on the podcast. Yeah, we, we definitely. Will. If you could swing that, Dave, you know, because you guys have like that personal connection, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's a cool story. I I, I would imagine he would be your favorite. Um, so oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but who who's the most important? That's really tough because, like, I mean, you have Derek Lowe, who um, he was the winning pitcher in all three of the uh, series clinching games in the 04 uh, playoff run, which is really neat. You have Yuku, who is the only one of the three that was there for both World Series. And you have Mike Wall, who won uh, World Series MVP in 07. All postseason guys. If I had to pick one who was the, mo- the most important, I'd probably pick. I'd probably pick Lowell just because, um, like, because of that 2007 World Series, he was unbelievable. That that series, he was unstoppable. Um, and I'd probably pick him, and he was a really good third baseman. It's a shame he had all those back issues because he was um, he was really the cornerstone third baseman for a long time. And it took us a while to find a guy that would uh, that could fill that role once Lowell retired because you played third for a little bit when uh, he. When he came back from uh, when we got the when we did the Gonzalez deal, but he was gone after a year and a half when Valentine drove him out of town, and I've never forgiven Bobby Valentine for that. Then we had among other things, but yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Bobby Valentine is dead to me. Yeah, (laughs) then we had Will Middlebrooks for a little bit there, and I thought he was going to be the guy. That that was like the most disappointing prospect I think I've I've ever seen. That was a you see descent. I rooted for Will Middlebrook's failure solely because, and yeah. I realize this is a very mean reason to do it, but solely because he took they Uke. traded Uke because they thought Middlebrooks would be the next third baseman of the future. So I actively rooted against <laughs> So him. it was good for you. In the end, I got my wish. You, but, you did. Will, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry, buddy. It's nothing personal. <laughs> Will Middlebrooks actually was, like, my favorite player, like, in my, like, freshman year of high school eighth grade uh middle school year like i loved Will. i had a will middlebrooks jersey how many people do you know have a will middlebrooks jersey like i was so i was so up on this kid i thought he was gonna be the next thing and like i felt like part of me was like discovering it before everyone else because it was just happening so i felt like i was very privy to the action but in reality it just turned into a crap show and will middlebrooks was gone quicker than than uh, it was just such a quick descent and like I still can't get over it. It still angers me. But, yeah, he's he's happily married to Jenny Dell now. Um, so, now, I'm going to talk about each of those guys. Mike Lowell, Derek Lowe. God, their names are so similar. last names. That can get confusing. And Kevin Euclid. Um So, I'm going to start with Mike Lowell. Uh, 2006-2010, he was a member of the Boston Red Sox, formerly a Miami Marlin. Um, and he was the 2007 MVP, as Dave mentioned. So valuable for that World Series run. Um, he batted 353 in the series, two home runs, and 15 RBIs. Very, very potent stats. But he only had a 9.1 total F4 with the team. He had three very good seasons. Uh, I think there was 2006, 2007, 2008, and then two not-so-good seasons. Um, he didn't have the longevity of a career in a Red Sox uniform that Kevin Euclid did or even Derek Lowe, but he made the most of it. He he came when it, he, uh, he played up when it counted in the World Series. Um, Kevin Euclid, meanwhile, 
he debuted with the Red Sox. He was the only one to make his major league debut with the Red Sox. Uh, Derek Law actually debuted with the Seattle Mariners. Um, from two, In 2004 to mid-2012 was his reign in a Red Sox uniform. He's the only guy that's got two rings. Um, but he had 28.7 F war uh, in a Boston Red Sox uniform. I did some bad math uh, with a calculator. Hopefully it was right. It, was, it looked like about 28.7. Um he did go to the Yanks at one point, and I'm not going to hold that against him, but um, it does not distract detract really anyone's uke love. Between 2007 and 2011 was his five-year peak, and he accumulated three-plus F war seasons in every single one of them. He was the great god of walks. Gotta love Kevin Euclid. He now owns like a craft beer store. Did you know that in like California? That's pretty cool. Um, yep. Yeah, I didn't know that. I looked it up today. And then Derek Lowe. 17.2 F4 from mid-1997 to 2004. He was not a strikeout guy whatsoever, but he limited contact and had pretty great command. His 2002 season was one of the better ones of his career with a record of 21-8. and I believe he led the league in wins. Um, not that I care about win-loss record, but I just did cite it. Um, he had a 258 ERA and a 4.6 F4 in that season. He was a very prolific ground ball guy. He pitched a contact. He did, he did that excellently. Um, and as Dave said, integral part of the 2004 World Series, he he pitched, he was the clincher in every single one of those games. He pitched a crucial seven innings of no earned run balls in the World Series against St. Louis, snapping the curse of the Bambino. Um, his World C- and Because of that game, he ended his World Series uh, career with an ERA of zero. So, good for Derek Lowe. Um, yeah. But if I had to pick who was my favorite, um, I'm going to go with you guys, Kevin Euclid. Um he, he just... He, when I started consistently watching the Red Sox, he was the guy that was a staple in the lineup. Uh, Mike Lowell, I started watching, like, uh, becoming a prolific Red Sox fan towards towards the end of his tenure in a Boston uniform. And I did root for Mike Lowell. He's such a good guy. I mean, he's on MLB Network now. He just seems like such a humble, wholesome, just friendly guy. But Kevin Euclid has a much is much dearer to my heart. Um, I loved his approach to the plate. As, as Jordan said, I loved that swing. It, w- it was so appealing. And I will say that Kevin Euclid was the most valuable, too. I mean, he spent the longest uh, amount of time in a Boston Red Sox uniform. Uh, he was there for two World Series, and he accumulated the most war of all the three, and it was not considerably close. I would like to mention, though, that Mike Lowell has more Twitter followers than Kevin Euclid, though. So if you want to go... Um, who's the more important to the Red Sox success. Maybe you're going to base it off Twitter followers, although I don't know why you would. Just thought that would be an interesting message. Um, and Derek Lowe doesn't have a Twitter, so he was out of the running for this contest. So, yeah, that that's going to wrap it up for today, guys. Um, we exceeded an hour again, so so good job. You guys did awesome. Um, Dave, do All right, you, go us. Yeah, go us. Dave, do you have any departing thoughts for the fans out there? Um, not too much. Just, you know, it's uh, 12.30 right now, so shut up and watch the Braves. <laughs> what about you, Jordan? You know what? Uh, I'm, 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 well, uh, oh, I, I, I kind of paused there for a minute, but, uh, you know, nothing in particular. Um, I'm going to uh, give uh, the Red Sox unfiltered uh, Facebook page a shout out. Go check yeah. it out on Facebook. We got it, I think, put up on, uh, it was the last week. Yeah, it was about a week. We got about, like, I think 26, 26 followers. Is that, what, is that what they're called on Facebook? I think yeah. 26 well, likes or followers. Yeah, members or something, I think. Yeah. Members, okay. Well, uh, it's, it's brand new. Um, it's nothing coming. Uh, it's going to be chucks full of good stuff. So, 
anyone listening out there who's like, uh, you know, this podcast is great. I'm going to go check it out on Facebook. You know, hit the like button. You yeah. never know what's going to happen. But other than that, um, yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to bounce off Dave, Dave and be like, shut up and watch the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah, and, and that was that. I would like to point out, Jordan, that was great marketing for the end of the show for the Facebook page. G- good job. Um, great way to end this segment. Uh, yeah, we do have a Facebook page now. Jordan does a lot of fun stuff with it. He does some vlogs. Is that what is that what it's called? Facebook vlogs? I don't know. But you do some interesting stuff on there. Um, I try to post there. We got a lot of our articles posted to the Facebook page. Also, the Twitter page, as always, we're on Bo Sox Unfiltered. We're not Red Sox Unfiltered because the name was already taken. But, yeah. Um, it, it, it's been a great episode guys and the Red Sox hopefully will beat the Atlanta Braves uh, I got my broom ready I don't know if you guys have your brooms at, at, at ready they're in arm's distance ready for this game but yeah it's been a great episode guys um, we will be back midweek next week I think uh, we'll probably be Wednesday, Thursday night. Um, we're, we should have our first actual um, on-the-field coverage for Red Sox minor league um, affiliates starting this week. I think I'm I'm heading up to Greenville, uh, the Greenville Drive, which is single A for the Red Sox, and we have uh, I'll have be credentialed and hopefully get some interviews with some top prospects, so I can deliver that to you guys. And Dave is potentially going to get one for the Portland Sea Dogs, which would also be awesome. So yeah, we're going to get some actual like you know beat reporting kind of stuff going on for this site. So that's also a very exciting announcement to make. Um, But other than that, it's been an amazing episode. As always, go Red Sox, and we'll, we'll see you guys soon.